Yep. Stand one more time. We're up and down, particularly the ladies. Up and down, church. We're like yo-yos. But we honour the word of God and we honour the person bringing the word today. Give Anita a welcome. As she does. Closer to the people. Do you know what else we need to do? You guys can grab a seat because you're probably going to say, oh, don't sit because I'm going to pray. But I'm letting them sit. Uh, we need to welcome Mac because Mac is in the house today. Is Mac asleep? Fairy claps for Mac, everybody. Welcome Mac. So everyone wants newborn baby cuddles after church today. Hopefully you don't have to race off. <laughs> so welcome Mac. It's so good. That's how we increase the church need. Babies. <laughs> no more babies. No more babies. Oh, well, let's open in a word of prayer, hey? <sighs> Heavenly Father, what a joy and delight to be here with your people. Lord, to come around your word, the word that leads us, guides us, sets us free, the word that showed us you. Lord, I ask that you'd open our eyes today to see you, open our spiritual ears to hear what you're saying to us, and anoint me to speak your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well... I, uh, I have a new decoration. You like my garland? It's edible. I can see minties and oh, bars. And that's cool. <laughs> the lovely ladies from Samoa, yes? It's their tradition. So, yes. Woo. You can all call me a... Uh, you took the words out of my mouth. It's not just dads who can do dad jokes. <laughs> All right. Um, okay, today I want to talk about God turning our morning into dancing. And I pray by the time we get through, you will have a spring in your step as you leave here. That uh, you will experience the joy of the Lord in a way maybe you've never experienced before. And so uh, get ready. I'm going to get my preach on today, and uh, and we're going to have some fun. All right, we're going to look at two women's journey from bondage to joy. Of course, we're going to look at women. It's Mother's Day. And I'm actually going to start in the book of Ruth. So if you have your Bibles, turn there or get out your Bible app on the phone and look it up. Make sure I'm not telling you anything that's not true. Okay, so Ruth chapter 1. And I'm going to read to you from verse 1 to 5. So Ruth chapter 1, 1 to 5. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. Sorry. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of their two sons were Marlon and Chilion, Ephrodites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab, and the name of one was Orph, Orpha, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Marlon and Chilion also died, so the woman survived her two sons and her husband. 
Okay, what an interesting opening to this story. I find this really remarkable. Like the books of the Bible, most of them are about many people, accounts of generations, what God has done with a nation. But the book of Ruth is solely focused on one family. Why this family? Now, something happens here at the start that is not so great. It may not sound like it's not so great, but in verse 1, because there was a famine in the land, the son and daughter of the land who belonged there, they were children of God, this was their promised land, they left and they went to Moab, a country full of pagan idolatry and pagan worship. They left where they were meant to be because there was trouble and they went to fix their own problem. That doesn't sound familiar at all, does it? No. No, that's what I thought. These are strange people. I mean, none of us would do anything like that. We would never try and fix our own problems and, and leave where God wants us and, and go and pursue something else. It's just strange. <laughs> Anyway, this is what they did, and it didn't get any better. In fact, Elimelech died. And later, his two sons also. And now Naomi is by herself in a strange land with no one else who shares her faith, no one else who understands her, no one else who can point her in the right direction. And she has like a prodigal son moment in verse uh, 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited his people by giving them bread. Isn't it interesting? They left to go and get bread. Remember, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. If we're trying to find our sustenance somewhere else, we're going to end up hungry. We're going to end up dry and barren. So she makes the choice to return. I want to pick up the story in verse 19. Uh, her daughters-in-law come with her. She convinces one of them to go back, but Ruth remains unconvinced. She's determined no matter what, she's going to with Naomi back to uh, Israel. And in verse 19, now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they came to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is it Naomi? Remember, it's been 10 years since they've seen her. Then she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. All right. 
So that doesn't mean much to us when, we, when she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, because we don't know the meaning of those names. But let me help you with that. Naomi means pleasantness. Pleasantness. Mara means bitter. So this is telling me the state that Naomi is in. Have you ever met a bitter person? <laughs> How do you know they're bitter? What's a little giveaway? Their face. Their face? Anything else? What they say. What they say. You're going hard. This is exactly right. And look at Naomi. She's getting a grand welcome. It said the entire city was excited she was home. Can you imagine? Can you imagine having a banner put up across the main street? Welcome home, Naomi. And everybody's so excited. And she's like, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Like, what happened to you? You're not the person that you were when you left. I don't recognize you. You've changed. You're so bitter. You have let your life make you bitter. Now, she says, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Was it God's fault that she was where she was at? No, 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 not at all. Isn't that interesting? Do you know when you're bitter, your perspective is clouded? You can't see properly because it's all about you and the injustice done to you. It's all about your woes and your troubles and the things that have happened to you and why me? Naomi was very bitter. We're going to put a pause in her story. I'm going to flick over to Hebrews 12 if you want to turn there with me. Book of Hebrews chapter 12. And I want to read verse 14 to 15. It says this, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. How interesting. All the way now, thousands of years later, in the New Testament, we're being warned about this same thing, bitterness. And it starts, it says, with a root, a root of bitterness springing up, causing trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Many. That tells me none of us are exempt from this temptation. Do you know why? Because all of us go through hard times. Everyone has things that could easily make them bitter, make them sad, make them mourn, take their joy. I'm going to go to Ephesians chapter 4, and I just want to read a couple of verses there, 31 and 32. Uh, it says this, Let all bitterness... Wrath, anger, clamour, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. 
and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. I'm just going to grab my phone because I want to read that from another translation. Thank you. Give me a minute. Okay, well, I'll read this from um, the Jewish Bible, actually. And uh, let me just find it. Sorry, bear with me. Ephesians 4. Complete Jewish Bible. There we go. I just, I mean, talk about picture between the eyes. This really says it well. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, violent assertiveness and slander, along with all spitefulness. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, and forgive each other, just as in the Messiah, God has also forgiven you. Get rid of all bitterness. Why is he saying this? I'm going, to, I'm going to show you a point in a minute, but we're going to have a look at our second woman. Now, this woman doesn't even have a name, and yet she has a title. So let's have a look at Luke chapter 13. If you, if you will, turn there with me, Luke 13. We're going to have a look at another woman, what she did right, what she didn't do, and what God did. Very intriguing story. Luke 13. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 10. Now he, talking of Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. Very interesting introduction to this woman. She is where she's meant to be. On the Sabbath, she's in the synagogue listening to the teaching. She's there, however, with a condition, a condition that, that had bent her over. So she was bent, bowed down. She'd had this condition for 18 years. Imagine the back pain if you're bent for 18 years and could in no way raise herself up. Wow. She's in the house of God, but she's in a very bad condition. Verse 12 says, but when Jesus saw her, he called her to himself. And said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Ooh. But the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. <laughs> And he said to the crowd, Look, there are six days that men ought to work, therefore come and be healed on one of them. Oh, 
day. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Disorder in the church. <laughs> Somebody bring some order here. We don't have healing on the Sabbath. Then the Lord answered him and said, Hypocrite, does not each of you on the Sabbath lose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water? Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath? And when he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him, by Jesus. Now, did you see the title of the woman in there? We don't know her name, but she does have a title, Daughter of Abraham. Why is that important? Because it's speaking of the covenant that she's in. She's in a covenant. As a daughter of Abraham, she has a position with God. And so he's saying, Jesus is saying, ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound? Isn't that interesting? Think of it. For 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. How many of you are ready to be loosed from some bonds today? I believe Jesus is here. Just like verse 12, it says Jesus saw her. He didn't say, how did you get yourself in such a mess? (laughs) He could see she could in no ways raise herself up. This was beyond her capability. But he saw her. Maybe nobody else in the room even bothered to notice her anymore because she was just the bowed over old woman. But Jesus saw her and called her to him. Now, I'm surprised at that point that the leader of the synagogue didn't get up in indignation because a woman had her place in the women's court of the temple. And he called her to himself. Where was Jesus? He was standing teaching. He brought a woman that was overlooked and outcast, insignificant, out of the shadows, right to the front. And he said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. Remember what her infirmity was? It says in verse 11, it was a spirit of infirmity. Now, I have had the occasion to see in the spirit realm, and I've seen the spirit of infirmity before. Not something I'd recommend, but uh, it did resemble, not cute like this, but it did resemble a monkey-like creature. All right, so let me get set up here. Okay. 
Now, this wouldn't hurt anyone, would it? Oh. <laughs> there was something happened to this woman that caused a spirit of infirmity to latch onto her. I don't know what happened, but I could guarantee you it was related to some kind of trauma, some kind of pain, something where she'd been wronged, where someone had done her terribly wrong. And so this spirit comes and begins to say, you've been done wrong by, how could they do that to you? How will you ever get over this? You'll never be the same again. You can't recover from this. That doesn't seem bad. That all seems like the truth. I mean, after all, I'm the victim here. But this spirit that seems so subtle at the start, it says it had bowed her over. Someone's got a monkey on their back. You ever wonder where that came from? It's a spirit of infirmity. And I tell you what, it may look light now, but after a while, wow, that thing gets heavy. Now, how do I get this monkey off my back? Because even though it looks cute, it's hanging on. Remember what we read in Ephesians? I'm going to read it again. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, violent assertiveness, slander, and spitefulness. Get rid of it. Woohoo. It is, it is like a... a um, almost like a, an aggressive form, isn't it? Get rid of it. So you see, this woman couldn't raise herself up. She couldn't free herself. But when Jesus called her and he reminded everybody who she was, a daughter of Abraham, suddenly that thing became lifeless. What had bound her for 18 years was shown up for what it really was, powerless against Jesus. What's been bothering you? What's been sitting on your back? It's time to get the monkey off your back. It's time to let it go. She was a daughter of Abraham. Now, notice they keep emphasizing that she had this for 18 years. Whenever I see numbers in the Bible, I get excited. <laughs> Not because I like math, but I like meaning. <laughs> 18. Well, as it would turn out, 18 symbolizes bondage. <laughs> the children of Israel were 18 years fighting 
their adversaries when they first entered the promised land until they had conquered them all. 18 speaks of bondage. This woman was bound for 18 years. Do you know what Jesus does? And I, I, I love this about God. He takes our bondage, the one eight, and he does something incredible. What's 18? It's 10 and 8, right? Well, guess what 10 means in the Hebrew language? 10, the number 10 is also the letter Yod. It's the smallest letter, but it's the letter from which all other letters are formed. It means completion and order. And it also, in the picture graph of the Hebrew, represents an arm or a hand. Do you remember the Bible says his arm is not too short and he cannot save? Isn't this what Jesus did for this woman? Didn't he call her and bring her and give her a hand? Literally a hand up. <laughs> um, sorry, I just have to laugh at my own jokes because they're that bad. Um, all right, so that's number 10, completion and order. Then we have our chet, which is the eighth letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Guess what that means? New beginnings. Oh, wow. <laughs> God turns our 18 into order and new beginnings. Wow. Isn't that awesome? Now, wait till you hear this. <laughs> Hang on. i got to bring it up. Okay. Then. This one. I want to read to you a little bit more about this letter, Het. The way it's drawn, it looks like a doorway. Okay? So I want you to keep that in mind. So this is called Het and the doorway of life. So Het is obviously made up of the Het. But then when it's spelt, it has one other letter, which is the little yon. And it's short for life. So the letter het can be seen to resemble a doorway where the blood of the lamb was dogged during the first Passover. There are many necklaces that spell this Hebrew word. In fact, the word itself somewhat resembles a lamb. And from this we can say that the lamb gives life when applied to the doorway of our heart. Isn't that amazing? In the middle of the 18, when we dig down, we see the blood of the lamb. What sets us free from our bondage? It's the blood of the lamb. It's Jesus. He's the one who gives us a new beginning. He's the one who takes us out of all kinds of bondage. Everything from old mindsets to fresh hurts, it doesn't matter. He takes us out of bondage. I'm going to read to you Isaiah 53, uh, the famous passage that was prophesying about Jesus a thousand years before he came and the work that he would do. I'm going to read from verse 3 to 5. 
It says this, he, speaking of the one who would come, Jesus, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be despised. Who's ever felt despised before? Has anyone ever been through that? It's not pleasant. But he was rejected by man. Do you know rejection can be one of those things that becomes a monkey on your back? It begins to define you because they rejected me and they rejected me and I begin to reject myself. But Jesus went through all of this. A man of sorrows, it says, and acquainted with grief. You know, Jesus lost his earthly father. We don't know how old Jesus was when Joseph died, but he knows what it's like to go through the loss of a family member. He knows what it's like to experience grief. He knows what it's like to be betrayed by one of your very best friends. He knows what it's like to have sorrow. What does it say in verse 4? Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Grief is one of those things that's interesting. It's also identified in the Bible as a spirit. Do you know that? A spirit of grief and sorrow. Just like uh, a spirit of infirmity, grief and sorrow can bow you down, weigh you down, make you feel hopeless and without any future. But here we're told something remarkable, that Jesus bore our griefs and he carried our sorrows. When I was uh, a kid, even all through my teen years, I used to just say I was a very sentimental person. What I didn't realise was that I was actually carrying a spirit of grief and sorrow. Um, oh, I, I couldn't handle any kind of change. One day a tree in our backyard died and I cried. <laughs> now, sorry. that's a problem. It's laughable. Uh, sorry. Why would that make me cry? Because there was change and I was grieving for a tree. A tree of all things. I remember the day uh, my sister had accepted the proposal of a young man from our church and she got engaged and her and I were very, very close. And we would spend many hours together every day if we could, but at least weekly, we would get around the piano, she would play and she would sing the melody and I'd sing the harmony and we would just worship God for hours. And I remember this one day looking over at the piano, my sister was out and, and it was a silent piano and it was empty in the house and, and this grief hit me. I went into my room and I sobbed like my sister had died because to me it was like she was gone. 
She was gone from my world. My world was never going to be the same. And I was sobbing. And then the Lord mentioned this verse to me. Surely I have borne your griefs and carried your sorrows. And do you know, he opened my eyes to realise what was in my ear was not from him. This change might be change, but it doesn't mean that I have to be so full of grief. I can find joy in what's happening. That seemed impossible, but I began to hang on to his words. You have delivered me from a spirit of grief and sorrow. I will grieve no more. And slowly I began to feel his joy begin to flood me again. Look at the rest of verse 4. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Do you know why it uses the word bruised there? Iniquities are things that are done, sins committed against other people. So not just sinning where it affects yourself. This is a sin against someone else, an iniquity. And what happens when somebody hurts us? It's like we're bruised. Have you ever said, I feel like I'm bruised inside? Emotionally, he was bruised for our iniquities. He took the pain even of what others have done against us. Wow. The chastisement needful for our peace was upon him. So he got whipped because of my mistakes. And by his stripes, we are healed. Remember, this woman was healed from her spirit of infirmity. Healed. Why could he do that? Because he took her place. He made her a daughter of Abraham. Do you know you've been made a son and a daughter of God? Remember who you are. Remember your title. You are not under this heavy burden. You are a child of God. Ooh. Now, wait till we get to this one. Okay. Jesus in, in Isaiah 61, I'm going to just go quickly now for the sake of time. The special anointing upon the Messiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, he read these words, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted. That's the very first thing after preaching the good tidings to the poor, it was to heal the brokenhearted. Do you think that might mean there might be a lot of brokenheartedness in this world? I don't think there's one person who hasn't had their heart broken over something or someone. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn. To console those who mourn in Zion and give them beauty for ashes. Remember, God turns the 18, the bondage, into a 10 and an 8. Order and new beginnings. 
This is what he's doing here. Beauty for ashes. I have to clean out fireplaces in my work. And I can tell you there ain't no beauty in them ashes. It goes up my nose. I'm trying to clean this stuff. How? How does he make beauty out of ashes? Well, the same one who formed the wood that burned can take what looks like an ash heap and turn it into something so beautiful people will stop and admire it. Only God can do that. The oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit, there it is again, of heaviness. That they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. We want the planting of the Lord in our life, not a root of bitterness, but the planting of the Lord, because that's what's going to bring him glory. Okay, Psalm 30. I'm going to quickly flick over there. This is great. Now, I'm going to need some participation from you all in a minute, okay? So I'm giving you plenty of warning, like 30 seconds. Um, Psalm 30, 11 to 12 says this. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness to the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. <laughs> o Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Psalm 30, 11 to 12. You've turned for me my mourning into dancing. Now this is where you need to help me. All right, who remembers the really old song? He turned my morning into dancing. He turned my sorrow into joy. Come on, who knows it? Sing with me. No, no, a song no. of praise instead of sadness. And for my grief, the oil of joy. All right, here's another one for those who might know it. It was a Ron Canoli one. He's turned my morning into dancing again. He's black. Come on. He lifted my sorrow. I can't stay silent. I will sing for has come. Woo! What about this one? I'm trading my sorrows. Who knows that one? I'm trading my shame. I'm laying it down for the joy of the Lord. I'm trading my sickness. I'm trading my shame. I'm laying it down for the joy of the Lord. And do you know how the verse goes? It's really hard. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, yes, yes, Lord, amen. Do you know why that woman got healed that day? She said yes. She could have sat over there and made all the excuses in the world. I can't come to you, Jesus. I'm too bent over. I'm too hard. Nobody sees me. Nobody knows me. Nobody understands what I'm going through. I can't come. It's against the law. I can't be in front of all these people. But she just for once forgot all the things that were in her ear and just heard his voice. And she came to him and he loosed her from her infirmity and made her whole. Now, I don't know the personality of that woman, but I can tell you, if that was me, it doesn't say he turned my morning 
into little tiny steps. <laughs> it certainly turned my morning into dancing. Now that woman came up, bowed down. How do you think she left? Oh. to pleasantness because she was in good company all right so the last bit of Ruth I'm going to leave you with this uh, I mean so I'll just just let you know uh, her daughter-in-law Ruth goes and gleans in the field God gives her favor it's not just any field it's Boaz's field Boaz is a relative of theirs very wealthy man and also has the potential to be a kinsman redeemer. So under Jewish law, if you had a relative, a brother, um, someone close to you that had died and they had had no children, then a relative could remarry that woman, was not remarried, marry that woman and produce an heir for the one who was dead so that he would have uh, a lineage. And so Boaz is the one whose field Ruth gleans in. Ruth comes home. Naomi asked her, hey, where are you working today? She said, oh, in this field with this man called Boaz. And Naomi's like, wow. She makes this statement, God has shown kindness to us. Mm. Remember she was so bitter, all she could see was that God had made her life miserable. Mm. Now all of a sudden she's recognising, hey, this isn't a coincidence. If it, of all the fields she could have picked, you, you went to the one that's a relative of ours and a kinsman redeemer. All right, let's look at chapter 4, Ruth chapter 4, and we're going to finish the story out, verse 6 to 10. Okay. So Boaz, uh, to cut the story even shorter, Boaz uh, finds out that he has the potential to redeem Ruth and Naomi. And so he goes to do it. And uh, there's someone else, though, who's a closer relative who has first dibs. And um, and so verse 6, this man, the close relative, said, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I ruin my own inheritance. You redeem the right of my redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm anything, one man took off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself. So he took off his sandal. And Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have brought all, bought all that was Elimelech's and all that was Chilean's and Marlon's from the hand of Naomi. Moreover, Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of Marlon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. 
you are witnesses this day. So he redeemed Naomi and Ruth. Ruth had a son and Naomi claimed the baby as her own. And I know babies are pretty cute and we all want to claim them. But Naomi <laughs> actually did. She ended up this barren woman with new life with this beautiful little boy called Obed. And guess what his name means? Um, a son born to Naomi. So it, it's he was the one that brought her joy and salvation. And, of course, it then goes on just a little side note. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Mm. So King David came and ultimately Jesus came through this lineage. How incredible. God took Naomi's bitterness and restored her and gave her such a future that we talk about it thousands of years later. He is a restorer. Wow. He wants to turn your morning into dancing. I don't know what narrative has been going over and over in your head I don't know what monkey's been sitting on your back, but I do know today is the day to let it go. He doesn't want us to be bound. He doesn't want us to be under any heavy yoke. He actually wants us to be free. So why don't you stand to your feet with me today? Father God, we want to be free. That woman with the spirit of infirmity had no way to raise herself up, but you saw her and you called her. Today, Lord, I pray for those in this place and those watching online who feel like they are unable to raise themselves up, unable to change. They can't get out of the dark spot they're in. Father, I pray for them now that they would hear your voice calling them, that you would touch them just as you touched that daughter of Abraham and that, Lord, you would raise them up to newness of life, complete, whole, because you bore our griefs, you carried our sorrows, you took our punishment, you provided our peace and forgiveness. Lord, help us to let go in this moment of the people who've wronged us. Help us to be aware of that scheme of the enemy to bring bitterness into our life and to rob our joy and to steal our hope. Father, today, I thank you. You turn our mourning into dancing, our sorrow into joy. Lord, I pray that we would be so full of your joy that the people around us this week would encounter you through us, through our lives. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Just while your heads are bowed in this place, I want to give an opportunity for those who maybe haven't received Jesus and you're living in darkness. Your life is maybe not the way you thought it would turn out. There is only one answer, and the answer is Jesus. He is the answer. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. 
No one can come to the Father except through Him. If you want to receive Jesus today, let Him wash your sins away. Let Him take your place, the great exchange. Give you beauty for ashes. Might you raise your hand, Anita, that's me. Count me in. I want to receive this Jesus. And I want to pray with you today, those watching online as well. We're just going to say a simple prayer. And if you confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart, that God raised Jesus from the dead, the Bible says you will be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. It's that simple. So I'm going to say a little prayer. Feel free to repeat it after me. Just, Dear Jesus, I give you my heart. Please wash me clean. I repent of my sins and I accept your gift of life. Make me part of your family. I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name. 